When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. And it's Purple Access right now, which means it's Judd, it's Declan, and um, of course we switch off weeks. Some weeks it's Star Tribune sports columnist Chip Scoggins. Other weeks it is our buddy from Vikings Wire, Tyler Fornis, who joins us for this show. We're going to talk about a very controversial issue, uh, which I think is going to become a bigger talker if the Vikings do indeed lose and to the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. But before we do, we wanted to remind you that uh, Purple Access today brought to you by our friends at the Minnesota Lottery, the new Lottery Vikings scratch game, is the official scratch game of the Vikings. The Vikings might not be winning, but guess what? You can with the scratch game up to $100,000, as you can see right there, or an away game trip, uh, away game trip, second chance prizes, also include season tickets. That's officially exciting. Minnesota Lottery, just say I'm in, must be 18 or older to play. All right, gentlemen, let's get to it. And I uh, pen a column for Tyler who is my uh, boss at vikingswire.com yesterday. And and you can find that column right now uh, on the Vikings Wire sh- um, site, which is a great one-stop shopping place for all of your Vikings information and news. Uh, but if the Vikings lose on Sunday, Tyler, they're going to be 0-4. Um, they are not the worst team, certainly, without a win. But at some point in time, it becomes rather hopeless and you could do what the Vikings did in 2020, which is to try to win games and end up with like the 14th overall draft pick, 13th pick. Or you can start to peel off some of the veteran parts on your team and actually say, we will try again next year. And we will do so with some draft capital that you can gain in trades before the October 31st deadline. So where do you stand on this? And I think it's uh, before people get upset, um, players don't tank. But teams definitely can tank by trading away assets and guys that they deem could help them. But by this point, it might be um, it might not be useful to get that help. One thing I want to know is how closely or how much of a fan is Quasi Dofomensa of the Major League Baseball? Because I think that's going to tell us, or at least his knowledge of 
how the sport works is going to tell us a lot about how he's going to approach a potential seller's market when it comes to the trade deadline, because in major league baseball, you get to the end of July and you have, let's say you're 20 games back. Well, 20 games back is 60 to go. There's no way you're making the playoffs. And that's when you become sellers, but it's not always about selling everything. It's about selling pieces. You know, will not be here next year and getting assets back for them. And that's kind of what I think the Vikings would approach it as far as trying to analyze because Quasi Alphamens has explicitly said, we will not tank. But there's a difference between tanking and just understanding where you're at because you can sell all these pieces. And I wrote an article for Vikings where earlier this week, Declan and I discussed it on Purple Daily on draft on Monday. But guys like Ezra Cleveland, Jordan Hicks, you know, Harrison Smith, none of these guys are probably going to be here next year. So if you sell them now, you're not necessarily tanking, but you're just understanding the situation you're in. And lo and behold, you get some assets back for them. And then you can package them to move around in the draft. You can make those picks. You can do a lot of different things. And I think that would be the direction that the Vikings go similar to 2020 one in five start. And they decided to ship off Yannick and And then still somehow Mike Zimmer led that defense to like, it might've been 2021, but they let him to like 50 sacks. It was just absolutely absurd. The kind of pressure that he was generating just by his 21. team, but yeah. it was 21. Okay. But when you look at all those little nuances, the Vikings aren't going to full blown tank, but selling off pieces that won't be here, I think is very plausible. And if, if that's Owen for Judd, I really hope somebody in the room asked that question. Uh, now that we're sitting in an 0-4 spot, and I don't believe anybody's ever made the playoffs starting 0-4, are you going to approach this like baseball and potentially sell off pieces that you know will not be here next year? Porno, how much um, should the Vikings want to try to get back to a third-round pick? They don't have one for next year's draft as it stands right now. They didn't have a second-round pick last year, and obviously, look, sometimes the price is worth the admission. You know, They gave up the second to get TJ Hawkinson last year, but now they don't have a third for next year's draft. How much do you think that Kwesi Dolphamensa at least wants another bullet on that day two of the draft, whether that's getting another second or obviously just recouping that third that they lost? I don't know if it's necessary, but you'd obviously like to be there, right? Mm-hmm. The Vikings did not end up taking the route of trading back in the first round last year to recoup that second round pick. Uh, so one thing I found interesting listening to Kwesi last year leading up to the draft was you approach different drafts differently. And you approach them based on one, the talent pool that you have, the assets that you have uh, going into the draft. But it's also what you have on your roster. You don't want to draft 10, 12 guys every single year. Sometimes you need to do that to try and build up that infrastructure. Now, infrastructure isn't just starters. It's core special teamers. It's making sure that you have X, Y, and Z ready to go. So as best you can, you can go into the draft and, hey, this guy's falling. Oh, we have five wide receivers. Yeah, but he's really good. And you have the ability to, okay, let's just take him because he's just that good. And that's what you want to do with some of this stuff. Now they picked six guys last year and you had a three UDFAs make the team, including all six of your draft picks. He had nine rookies, but the year before you had 10 draft picks Two UDFAs made the team. You had 11 guys make the team because Nick Muse ended up on the practice squad. Like, you don't want to have 11, 10 guys that are rookies every single year on your depth chart. 
you want to, sometimes it's okay to have seven and next year you're going to be looking at a team that's going to potentially have around 20 players who are vested with one or two years of experience that can really round out that back end of your roster. So would a third round pick be great? Yeah, but it, it all depends because the Vikings currently, I believe have seven selections and seven selections that will probably end up being more. You don't necessarily need to make all those picks just because of what you currently have on the roster. The answer to your question, Tyler Fornis, is only the 1992 Chargers started 0-4 and made the playoffs being eliminated in the divisional round. So that's it, 1992. Um, so let's go back to to the philosophy here, though, in Quasi, because I think this is a really intriguing question mm-hmm. because 2020 is the parallel. That, that team started... One and five went into the bye, as you just talked about, traded in Gakway, who they had just picked up before the season. Um, and I think we all thought, okay, now they're going to start to dump guys. You know, this mm-hmm. is when you trade Kendricks, who who you ended up keeping and got nothing for. Or you look to trade Thielen, or you look to trade, at that time, a still incredibly productive, probably, Harrison Smith. Rick Spielman didn't do that. And I've always contended that that is in large part because ownership has never signed off on trading away um, numerous assets, even when it looks like a season is going wrong. But but let's talk about this because there's a couple things here at, at work. One is with Quasi. Um, competitive rebuild is a phrase that will follow him for the rest of his life. But mm-hmm. I think it's, but I, but it's my personal opinion that he came up with that phrase because uh, when, and I'm not saying that this guy is working out, but when Ryan Poles, who was, I think, the Wills' first choice and ended up being GM of the Bears, when Ryan Poles came here, he documented a plan to strip this franchise down to the studs, and the Wilfs are like, we don't do that. And so Poles went to Chicago, convinced them to do that. Quasi, really an inexperienced surprise hire for the job he got, uh, came here. And I think the Wilfs said, we're not going to strip this down. And he's like, okay, what can I think of? Competitive rebuild sounds good. And in fact, in 2022, it worked out fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, now the other thing is this, Quasi Adolfo is a stock market guy. He comes yeah. from, he comes from, like he doesn't have just a small background. He started, that's how he started. So Tyler, tell me this, because I think it's, it's pretty simple. And let's remove the word tank because tank's an ugly word. People get very, it's polarizing. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, looking at your portfolio, let's call the Vikings potentially 0-4 a portfolio. Looking at your portfolio and having a stock market background, there's no way that you can tell me that Quasi Adolfo Mensa wants to hang on to what are still asset stocks on a losing proposition. I got to think that he's going to, make a case or at least personally believe that the right move would be to shop guys. And I don't think that that's, and and that would probably help you lose, but I just think from his background, there's no way that that's not how his brain would work. Right. So I want to answer the, the Spielman question here first, because you mentioned like, Oh, they didn't sign off on trading Smith, Kendricks and Thielen. The, overarching thought there was those guys weren't on the downside of their careers and they could still help make a real run the next year. And I think that's why in this hypothetical, the Wolves didn't sign off on it because they want to remain competitive. This is different. Harrison Smith is 32. You uh, had him take a pay cut this year. He was, there were already rumors of him potentially retiring. And now you're not going to have him back on the roster next year. I think that is where the Wolves will sign off. 
because it's a it's a different situation. You're not hurting next year's team by doing so. And that's why I think you wouldn't see a guy like hypothetically like a Christian Derrissaw where he's going to be here for a long time. You're right. not selling off those guys. You're not selling off a Byron Murphy who you're expecting to bring back next year and be a real contributor. You're in theory getting rid of players like in baseball where they're not going to be contributing to you next year. So let's get an asset back for them. Heck, even if they traded all five of those guys that I wrote about and they got like a fourth, two fifths and two sixths, that's still five day three picks that you can maneuver to do a lot of different things with. You can maneuver for veterans. You can maneuver back up in the draft. You can maneuver down. You can do a lot. And I think that's where this competitive rebuild with that portfolio is you're selling assets that you just know that you can't make money on. It's like right now we're looking at different options to be able to raise our, our financial assets so we can take care of some debt. Well, to do that, we might have to move money around from here over to here. And that's kind of what Quasi's going to have to do here. He's going to have to determine, is he going to want to ride this asset out? Like, let's say hypothetically, it's a two and five start because over the next four games, two and two, very plausible. All right. Two and five start. Do you want Ezra Cleveland to play the rest of the season on his salary when you know you're going to get nothing for him, but somebody offers you a, say a fourth or a fifth? Maybe you take that and just be like, okay, Dalton Rizner, slide in. And all of a sudden you have a fifth round pick and your production theoretically shouldn't go down much at all. That's where I think what that's the path that would happen. And I'm fascinated to see how Kwesi Dofa-Mensa handles it. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Forno, how quickly, or even not quickly, what's the better word for this? With the 2022 draft class being as poor and bad as it is, yeah, how quickly do you end up maybe bailing on a pick from that draft how, as, as the player that they've selected? Like, Lewis seen that might now have a hamstring injury, might be hurt. But does anyone take a chance on an Andrew Booth? You know, does, does anyone else take a chance on someone of these draft class that isn't looking too, uh, too promising so far? And I know that the asking price is a day three pick at best, but is there any chance Kwesi ends up bailing on any of these 2022 picks if he can get even just something in return? No, it's always possible, but it depends on what the issues are that they see in the building. Cause the one thing I noticed with like Lewis seen Andrew Booth, Jr. Brian Asamoah, all not playing at all this year. They're all very aggressive players. And this, this scheme is very aggressive, but it requires a lot of discipline. And my theory is these players aren't disciplined enough to actually play in the scheme and for Flores to feel really comfortable with them. And it's less about overall talent because if you play undisciplined, that's, what's going to gash you. That's what's going to like booth is by far the best example of this, his ability to put his foot in the ground and attack the football. So when a receiver makes his break, he just, he just has that click and close ability. Well, with zero coverage, if you could just hit him with a slant and go, 
and all of a sudden you're giving up a 70 yard touchdown. Those things matter a lot here where it's different from the Ed Donatel scheme where it's designed to keep everything in front of you and not let anything beat you deep. And I don't know if he would necessarily give up on a guy, but I floated it out the uh, other week because Kyrie Elam was a healthy scratch week one for the bills. He was a first round pick in 2022. Why not just do a swap Elam for booth? It's not working for both franchises gives each guy a fresh start. Elam has the, the man coverage ability that you want in a scheme like this. Maybe it could work. And I think if you're going to do something where you're going to move on from a guy, I think something like that is probably the route to go where just give two guys a fresh start and don't just take like a sixth round pick for a guy that you took 42nd overall. Makes sense. And I think the thing that amazes me uh, to Declan's point about this draft class too, Forno is the fact that, you know, for the most part, guys just aren't playing mm-hmm. um, there. And, and I keep saying this too, but I think the Cam Akers move has as much to do with w- whatever their disappointment is in Ty Chandler. Um, because, you know, going in, I think the goal was when Cook walked out the door, the goal was that mm-hmm. that Madison would be the top guy, but I don't believe that it was to be the bell cow. I think it was to be in some type of, of rotation that was going to be decided by um, Ty Chandler, McBride, perhaps. Um, Wong Wu, who hasn't played yet, who hasn't played in months now. Mm-hmm. And and so I, you know, the lack of just the lack of complete production here to me is astounding. And and you know, I know going back that Booth is a guy that you liked, but Booth can't get off the bench now. He just sits there, plays some special mm-hmm. teams, I think. Um, Asamoah is now the same exact way. Play, you know, he didn't get a defensive snap on Sunday. And so that's where the misses to me are alarming because it's almost like the fate of a lot of this draft class has been decided already. And that's a really weird thing to watch with this much of a draft class. If it's a couple of guys, you're like, okay, that's cool. Um, But, and, and it's high picks too. So I think that's where the confusion about what went wrong here is, is just the overall lack of uh, lack of the coaching staff wanting to give guys an opportunity to even show what they can do. The thing is with some of these guys is we don't always see them in practice. We don't always see all the little nuances. And even when we see them and I, I went to a bunch of practices this during training camp, Judd, I know you did too. We don't necessarily know every detail of their responsibility 100%. by watching. And hundred that's part of it. I, I thought scene had a relatively good camp. I didn't think he was phenomenal. There were times where it's like, Oh, that's the Lewis team we expected coming out of college. There were times like, dude, what are you doing? But we only have an incomplete data set because we don't know yes. what Flores is asking them to do in this specific play, how he's asking them to utilize technique. We don't know those details. And those details to me are the reason why there's a disconnect between what the Vikings are doing and how we perceive it as the media. And I, I really think it's a discipline issue with those guys considering how disciplined you have to play in this defense and can it be fixed? Yeah. Because with discipline, you can learn that by understanding the defense and your role and how you're supposed to attack. And by also understanding what everybody else is doing around you, the less you think 
And the more you can just react and play, the better off you are. And my hypothetical is that discipline is uh, hurting because they're thinking and they're not reacting. And that can happen with a new, new scheme. It can happen mm-hmm. on offense too. Like it's, it's just really frustrating that the outward look is the three of the top four picks aren't even playing. And the fourth one is, well, he's probably the biggest debate among uh, everybody in Vikings media, because I actually think Ed Ingram's been fine. I don't think he's been great, but he's been fine. And he's far from the actual problem of this offense. Speaking of uh, fi- fixing things, if you would like to fix your weight, if you would like to lose weight, let me tell you about my friends at Livia Weight Control Centers who have a plan for you. That's right. A couple of years ago, I joined, dropped 40 pounds. Uh, a bunch of people from the PD family have done exactly that. And I've gotten numerous notes in the last two years saying how great this program is. And guys, it's great because it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. It's a change that's effective, but it's a change that doesn't stop you from living your life. Sundays can still be fun. It's all about moderation, smart decisions. The uh, dietitians and nutritionists at Livia are going to help you do exactly that. And have they got an offer for you right now you join now three months free guys three months for free imagine that dropping weight three months for free and you're just getting started on a program that again i'm going to tell you it's not only going to work to help you lose the weight but keep the weight off 855 go l-i-v-e-a livia.com l-i-v-e-a.com that can fix your weight issue for now what i was going to follow up with was I love your point because yeah. And and I'm not ragging on the coaching staff for like mm-hmm. not playing the, these guys. I agree completely. Like we can watch practices and games till the cows come home, but we don't know exactly what the assignments are. Coaches don't share that, unfortunately. Um, but I will give you a prime example that I think goes to bolster your point. And it's again with Ty Chandler. O'Connell tried to walk it back, but after Chandler had that really good game in the preseason, the first game in Seattle, And I think we all said, oh, wow, like this is the coming out party for Ty Chandler. And if you recall, after that game, Kevin O'Connell said, yeah, you know what? He's got to do that more than when the lights come on. And I think he was talking about exactly what you're saying, which is technique. It's not Ty Chandler should be playing based on what I see from explosiveness. He's more explosive than Madison is. He's got like, like he's got gears that Alexander does not have. Um, but you know what? Clearly there is something there in pass protection, mm-hmm. in receiving that they don't like. And that's the thing. And I think that's the cautionary tale from this entire draft class is what you're saying. There are definitely football things, technique things, discipline things that this class is not doing. And if nothing else, Quazy and O'Connell and the, the entire staff sort of have to go back to the drawing board of what did we miss here? Like if you miss on one guy, okay happens all the time but like we're i think you're right i think we're looking at like a draft class of a lot of misses on how's the technique how's the discipline and i'm not talking off the field i'm talking on so like that's the if there's something to learn here it's not it's not that they picked a bunch of bad athletes it's that they picked a lot of guys that they don't seem to trust and in football and in this league that unfortunately makes them useless and we also have to factor in that Quasi Pomenza didn't have his infrastructure set up yet. Now, that's not an excuse. Right. Because it, at the end of the day, you still have to gather as quality of information as you can and make the smartest decisions. But he wasn't using his scouting staff. He barely had anybody in the front office working for him at that point. He inherited everybody. And if you've ever gone into a, a space where you come in as a manager 
It's just different than hiring your own people. It just is. And it, it can be good. It can be bad. But I think what we saw from this last draft, how we have Jordan Addison already playing well, Makai Blackman being trusted right off the bat as the nickel corner is a third round pick. You're seeing the difference in having your own people versus having people that were already there. And with the NFL draft, that's just reality. You are hired in January. You don't get to hire your own people really till after the draft. Cause so much of that process is already done. And at that point, you just have to kind of work with what you got. And I think that's a part of the explanation on why things failed at, or have failed so far with the 2022 class. Chandler is an interesting one, Judd. And I want to bring Cam Akers back up because I know you mentioned him a few minutes ago. I think Akers is a result of three things. And I actually don't think any of them are Ty Chandler. I think it's a result of Madison not being able to see. It's a result of Kevin O'Connell already knowing what Akers is and seeing how explosive he was before the Achilles injury because now he's two years removed. That's when theoretically you are fully recovered from a fully torn Achilles tendon. And three, I still don't think they trust Kane Wangwu. I don't because can't he, play. No. Well, even when he comes back, how can you trust him to be a running back? Like how, how can you? Yeah. That what has he shown in the public eye that he can actually play running back in the NFL and not just be a great returner? Because the, the answer is nothing. And it's yeah. not to say that he can't. Yeah. We have no data that shows that he can. And with this running game the way it is, like Madison probably should have scored a couple times on Sunday, but he can't see. Like when he runs the ball, like that wide zone where he cut back, he sees out of the corner of his eye that Ingram and O'Neill have blocks, but he should understand with that play in that condensed of space, you really need to continue front side. And if he follows his blocks, he probably scores, but he tries to get a little greedy and cuts back and runs right into defenders. So where, where I do think that, though that, that we have to point out that they don't trust Chandler and be, is because of this. After the um, forward progress call, which was a bad call, Madison fumbled that ball. You bench him if you trust mm-hmm. his backup. So like I, I think they're just hoping to reestablish some type of rotation here. I think Ma- Madison was never meant to carry as much. And I mean, yeah, you know what? He's well-liked. So C.J. Ham, that's great. But I think... I think the reality is from a football standpoint, from a business standpoint here, they want to have a rotation in place. Um, So yes, but I agree. Wang Wu has disappeared. I know they're disappointed by that. They didn't see this coming and yeah, you can't just put him back in there. He's small to start with, um, but they definitely came out of the spring workouts with an idea that, Hey, this guy might be good. And you know, he got hurt with that back problem early in camp. And mm-hmm. they can't get him back. You know, now he's he's been out. I think this will be uh, game four of his IR stint. So, Dex, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, you're good, Judd. Uh, for now, how much of an impact or how many snaps, I guess, do you expect guys like Cam Akers and now the newly added Dalton Reisner to probably make on Sunday against the Panthers? Do you expect these guys to get at least limited or some type of maybe even significant snaps this Sunday against Carolina? I genuinely don't know. And I will say this about Reisner. I don't play him unless I'm pulling a guy. I don't rotate him in. And reason being continuity on the offensive line, just it means a lot. And if you don't have to change out a guy, you don't, you you don't want to rotate players in and out because it messes with communication. It messes with understanding like how guys play. 
So if I'm Brian O'Neill and I had Ed Ingram, I know how Ingram's going to pass off a stunt. I know how he's going to handle different run concepts. You put in a guy like Reisner when you don't have to, all of a sudden things can get out of whack because now O'Neill has to think, how is he going to handle this? How is he going to play that? And thinking is what costs you in the national football. You can't think you have to react because if you think that split second can cost you the entire play. And I would not play Reisner unless I'm replacing a guy. And quite frankly, the one thing that I think people need to understand Reisner may be worse than both Cleveland and Ed Ingram. He may be better. He is a variable. And I, I think just by putting Reisner in does not automatically make this offensive line better. He just might not. And if you look at his PFF grades, great pass blocker, bad run blocker, He's six, six, like he's basically built like me and he plays straight up. And when you play straight up, it's easier to get pushed around. Whereas if you have that bend in your butt and you, you're able to use your legs to really anchor in and then also your upper body to push forward, that's going to help you in those situations. Like you watch offensive linemen, they always have the bend in their butt. If you get stood up, that's trouble. And Reisner, I am genuinely worried that he could end up being worse, but we don't know. And Akers, I bet he plays about 20 snaps. I bet the ease him in. He already understands the concepts of this offense coming from the Rams, especially having worked with O'Connell for two years, but he's still brand new to this team and this specific offense. So being able to learn all of the nuances that O'Connell has installed in two weeks as a running back, it worries me a little bit, but I mean, hell, TJ Hawkinson did it in five days. So it's not to say he can't. What's your opinion of acres and pass protection? I'll be honest. I don't really have one. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to go back and kind of watch him. I don't think he's phenomenal at pass protection. Then again, I think the only two running backs that the Vikings have that are good at pass protection are Madison, which I think his best actual usage is the third down back and CJ Hamp. And, oh, my gosh, if Ham becomes your third down back, I think the fan base would have a conniption. It would be yeah. it, it, it would be really bad. Uh, it, I'd have to ask some people and then try and de- go back to the film. I just haven't had any time to really get a concept of what he is as a pass protector. Yeah, I, I think Phil said that Ham snaps went uh, down from 22 in week one against Tampa Bay. I think he said he had eight last week. So they're definitely peeling back. They're not increasing, too, which is which is fine. They shouldn't be playing him a ton. I mean, if he plays like 22 of 70 snaps, I don't care. That's 30%. Like, that's that's nothing. Yeah, I was still not high on him playing too much. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> about that. Dex, fi- final questions, or I, I think we're good here. Tyler, thank you very much. As always, great stuff. And check out his work and my work at vikingswire.com. Hit the subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment. This has been Purple Daily. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.